Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Job chapter 42, a very interesting uh, passage of Scripture because this is the culmination of Job. Everybody heard of Job? Raise your hand if you've heard of Job. If you have not heard of Job, Job has been through uh, hell and back, probably the most uh, persecuted by the enemy, uh, the, the most trials, the most hardships that a man or woman could ever go through in their lives. Uh, he was, uh, at the start of that persecution, the richest man. Uh, ends up, fast forward, credits roll, I'll tell you that the end result is that God restored him and he was even richer. So God restored all of his material possessions and everything, but he went through losing everything, including his children, his house, his cattle, his own health. Everything that Job had that was his possession was completely gone. The only thing that Job had, according to Scripture, was the clothes on his back. And can anybody tell me what Job did with that? He offered it to God, a sacrifice, and said, Lord, you can have this too. He rented his own. The only thing he had left was a doubting wife who told him to curse God and die. By the way, the worst advice ever. Don't ever do that. And he took his clothes and he rented it as an act of sacrifice and worship and said, if that's all, uh, if that's everything, if the only thing I have left, God, you can have this too. This is the culmination of that testimony. But what was amazing is that whenever he cried out to God in his desperation, he cried out to God in his heart of humiliation. He was humbled. Not that he had an issue with pride, but he went through a testing that even God told Satan, don't worry, he's going to pass the test. Have you considered my servant Job? But that being said, after God had clarified the position that they lie in amongst in a relationship one to another, that Job was man and Jehovah was God, by saying, where were you when I split the heavens from the earth, put the sea to the sand, created everything that by word? Chapter 42, verse 5 says this, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. I have heard thee by the hearing of the ear, but now I'm seeing. You could tell a kid, clean your room, but did they really listen? They heard, but they listened when they cleaned the room. Amen? I can hear what someone might instruct me to do, but when I can say I've listened to them, I've obeyed their voice. Amen? So at that point when it said, I heard by the hearing ears, but now my eye says, now I see. In other words, now I get it. Lord, I see what you're saying. I can hear what God's trying to tell me, but now I see your point. I'm seeing you. Wherefore, verse 6, watch this. I abhor myself. Abhor is not a very common word you'll probably hear or even use today in our English language, but that means I absolutely am depraved of the idea of my self-worth, of my own flesh, of what it is that I like. I disdain myself he's saying connected to the fact that mine eyes have seen you and repent in dust and ashes when we see god the perspective of what it is our lives my desires what makes danny danny what makes miranda miranda what makes our lives our lives as identified by the things that we like the things that we do the things that we purchase the things that we involve ourselves with in the community outreaches whatever it might be your identity is null and void and literally in a detriment 
when you compare to the glory of God. Take every rich man in this world today that makes billions of dollars, put them all together, and they would not reach a grain of sand compared to the glory that is God. Amen? Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, the prophet Isaiah says, I saw also the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He starts to describe the next few verses of the detailed vision that he had when he saw the Lord. But skip to verse 5. His response is powerful. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes, again repeating, I have seen, because of this, this is why mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I cannot compare to Jesus. No man, no ministry, no spouse, no boss, no career, no aspirations of pedigree through universities. Nothing can compare to Jesus. Hear what I'm saying, church. There is nothing that we can aspire to here on this earth that will compare to Jesus. Nothing at all. Mine eyes had seen the King of kings and Lord of lords. So oftentimes as Christians, guys, we get so caught up in those things of our lives that we invest so much anxiety and, and stress and fear and worry and doubt over when we just got to see God. We just have to pause, breathe, and pray and put it in God's hands because there is no better place for it to be than in the hands of God. The point is we see our problems, but we're not seeing Jesus. When you see Jesus, everything else is abhorrent. Lord, forgive us. And that was his response. He said, woe, woe is me. I am undone. I am nothing. When we talked about the phrase, for mine eyes hath seen, when we see the glory of Almighty God in our own lives, we covered the depravity being the response to seeing God. That is a natural reaction. When we see the omnipotence and the power of God, when he fills you with the spirit and you can't help but dance, you can't help but joy. He's stirred inside of you. You can't help but look back and say, God, you have brought me through drug addiction. I should be dead. I overdosed twice. That's my testimony. Praise God. There is a natural response of depravity, realizing I am nothing and he is everything. The Bible even describes that he remembers our frame, that we are but. Come on, somebody. Part two, this morning, we're going to be talking about a different response that is also natural, but in addition to our depravity, that is the equipping for our sanctification. I'm going to say that again. A natural response, in addition to the depravity, that when we have a revelation of who God is, when you come smack face to face with God and you have that God encounter, whether that's behind your steering wheel, listening to a Caleb song that makes you bawl your eyes out, you pull over on the side of the road, which happened to me, by the way, on the interstate in I-49. I had an encounter with God that allowed my depravity initially, but that was the moment that God says, now you get it. Here's my spirit. I was distracted. 
I was involved in things and other things and go, 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 go. And God, all the while, is just, I'm here. It got worse. It went from distraction to idolatry, willful sin. I was led down this path where God literally had to smack me and pull me over in that shoulder. And I had an encounter with God. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you might not know what I'm talking about, but why are you here? I'm praying that you will, if not this morning, soon. I encountered God, and that's when I could say, my eyes have seen God. Listen, my eyes were opened spiritually, and I couldn't help but cry. When people have a response that they saw the Lord, they recognize the depravity and they submit. And in that moment, he equips us with sanctification. I'm talking about the Christian that says, God, I don't want to be a hypocrite. God, I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be the reason that the world doesn't come to church because there are too many hypocrites. I don't want people to look at me and say they're a fake Christian. I want them to look at me and be like, that is a person who truly loves Jesus. That is a person who will give the skin off your back. That is a person who walks in joy and peace and love and full of the Holy Ghost. Someone that is truly walking in what the Bible tells us as Christians. We can do, church. We can do it with His Spirit. We can live the life of a Christian. Amen? When Jesus told the woman that was caught in the sin of adultery, He called out the hypocrites and said, You are living in sin yourself. How dare you cast that stone? Neither do I condemn you, woman, but go and sin no Come on, somebody. We like the mercy. We like the grace. We like there's no condemnation. But sometimes we, end the, we roll the credits to the end of the story before Jesus has a chance to tell the woman, go and sin no more. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Everybody have a say amen. When I did a study two months ago on this topic, mine eyes have seen it was a simple search. You can Google the phrases. You'll pull up the references. One of that I realized I did not include was this passage. Someone who also said, like Job did, like Isaiah did, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, it says, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just about waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. So we have that uh, foundation of the story. Verse 26, And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost. Now look at this. That he should not see death before that he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, we say this all the time, but I want to make sure for emphasis, for those who have not heard this before that are here in this house or those that are watching on YouTube, or Facebook, Christ is not Jesus' last name. If Jesus filled out an application, it wouldn't put first name Jesus, last name Christ. Christ was the title, not his last name. Jesus the Christ. Well, what does Christ mean? It means the anointed one. The one who was called by God to Israel. The one who was to take the Israelites into promise, spiritually speaking, that was going to rid Israel of the sin. And really the captivity, which was spiritual, but at the time through the prophecies of the Old Testament, they thought it was literal. That's why there were zealots who were looking for Jesus to rid them of the Roman occupation that they were involved in at that time. So the point I'm saying is that Jesus was the anointed one. So the Holy Spirit was upon him. God Jehovah revealed to this man, Simeon, that you sh he was not going to die. Watch this. 
before that he had seen the Messiah. We'll say it that way. Before they had seen, before he had seen the one that was prophesied, there's about 2,400 prophetic messianic prophecies in the Old Testament that were to, to be fulfilled. Verse 27, it says, And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the, in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now watch this, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now I can be laid to rest, for mine eyes had seen the salvation. Now it's come to an end, because there's nothing greater. You, from this moment on, there's nothing that will compare to the fact that I've seen the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me tell you, church, according to that word, he could have been 157 years old. If he didn't see the Christ, the word of the Lord was he wasn't going to die. He would have lived as old as necessary until that moment happened. But when he held him up and blessed this child, he knew that was his response. Now let thy servant depart in peace according to your word, for mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all Israel, a light until the Gentiles and a glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Notice in verse 33, it says, And Joseph and his mother, that's Mary, marveled at those things which were spoken of him, what Simeon's response was, and what was beyond the fact that now I can depart in peace because I've seen thy salvation. He also said, A light to the Gentiles and a glory of thy people Israel. There's a lot of speculation that could be derived from the awe that was given to Mary and Joseph. What particularly, what, what, what particularly that was said that caused them as the words is marvel. If I say marvel, so they were in awe of what was said. But what particularly struck them? Now, there's no evidence in Scripture that tells us why they marveled. But one thing that real is revealed to me, at least from what I see of that is when he says a light to the Gentiles. Now you might not know the history, but the Gentiles were very much set apart from the Israelites. The Israelites were supposed to be very set apart from the Gentiles. Basically the Gentile is anything other than Israel. We're all Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. According to their customs, there was such a separation that the God's chosen people were Israel. Even Jesus told the woman who was a Gentile was asking for healing. He said, why should I give unto the meat of, of my, my father's children? And the response in humility was, Lord, even the dogs eat of the crumbs of the master's table. Do you understand that? Again, it's speculative. I don't know for sure. But one thing I do know that a light unto the Gentiles, God's plan was to save every single person from the very beginning. So when you look at the Old Testament and see such a distinction and separation of Israelites to the Gentiles, you start to question, wait, well, God just, they're, they're, they're the favorites and that's it? The plan was for the, the salvation of the whole world. But what's um, it's so amazing is how from in the very beginning of the Gospels, there is such a reach, there is such a love for the Gentiles. The Samaritan woman at the well, I'm going to give you the water that you shall never thirst again. Jesus is, is ministering to these people, and the Israelites are like, what is going on? Why do, what are the reasons? Of course, we know that the, uh, the relig religious leaders hated Jesus because he went against their status quo. He healed on the Sabbath, right? 
But another reason that they didn't like him is because he was very sympathetic and loving to the Gentiles. And y'all could even see even Peter was confused. Jesus already ascended by the point I'm getting to is that God had to bring out a sheet in Revelation of all these animals and said, kill and eat. And he's like, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. God says, don't say anything that's, that I've called clean, unclean. Even at that point, Jesus is already back in heaven and they are still struggling with the idea that the Gentiles can get Jesus too. The Gentiles Jesus loves. Everybody in the whole black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, fat, tall, skinny, you name it, Jesus died for you too. Come on somebody, That's, that's what I'm talking about. Marveled. That he said, this baby, this baby I'm holding is a light unto the Gentiles when they don't, when your people don't think they deserve you, Jesus, you are for the Gentiles too. Hallelujah. But my point in this, and the passage of this is when he's saying, there's it. I've seen all there is to see. Now. I can die. When I mentioned about the reality of our sanctification, the Bible tells us, according to the epistles of Paul, that we need to crucify our flesh. We need to die daily, Paul says. It's not in my notes, but the Holy Spirit's just adding this to it, right? If we as Christians have to die to the flesh, what God had connected the dots for me was with Simeon. He's talking about a literal death. In which Mandy, Jacob's mom, had that experience. She received the Lord. She saw the Lord. With her eyes closed, she saw the Lord. Tears down her cheeks, head nodded, halfway in a coma, slipping into eternity, received the Lord. There is nothing else this life has to offer that would compare to seeing God. And what else is there? And now she's in heaven. Simeon, same point. He's like, okay, God, that's it. That's amazing to see. And all of our aspirations, I want to be this. I want to do this. When I grow up, I want to be this. I want to have this, this, this. And I don't need to expand. I want to have an in-ground pool. I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong. But compared to God, when you get saved, there's nothing else better. Listen. The pinnacle of life is to see Jesus. That's it. Philippians chapter 1, go there, verse 21. I'm going to read to 25. When it comes to our death of the flesh, in like manner when, as you're turning there, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, in the same way that Simeon said, Okay, Lord, now let thy servant, myself, depart in peace according to your word, because I've seen God. Guess what? Now that we've seen God, none of that really matters anymore. Some of y'all are looking a little confused. I'm watching y'all's faces. There are people that haven't experienced that church. Listen to what I'm telling y'all. This morning, whenever we just felt it, y'all, I'm screaming to the floor because I had to, because I'm not trying to blow your eardrums out, but I'm just calling out to God. I'm having my encounter with you. I'm opening my eyes. I want to see Jesus. There are people that come to church, have an experience. Y'all remember with the woman with the issue of blood? And then Jesus says, oh, someone touched me. 
Duh. There's hundreds of people touching you, Jesus. But only one really did touch him. The woman with the issue of blood was desperate. Was just, I just need to touch them of his guard. Her mindset spiritually was, I want all of him. I don't want to just rub shoulders with Jesus. I want to touch him. So in the same way that we got a lot of church folk that come to church, they'll sit, they'll sing, they'll pray, they'll leave. But did you see God? I'm talking about that encounter that I had in, that, uh, in my car, in the interstate I-49 on that shoulder. I didn't just rub shoulders with Jesus. I touched him. I reached heaven. And let me say it this way. Heaven reached listen to what I'm saying that's what I'm talking about when that happens your flesh is dead because in that moment nothing else mattered I could have got sideswiped I promise you as God is my witness if somebody clipped my side mirror in that moment I probably would have not have flinched listen I was touching heaven that is true salvation that is Christianity that is when you have that encounter with God. Nothing else matters. And here's my point. Talking about the flesh. Dying. That's the Simeon. What I'm doing is a historical text that says he was literally ready to die because he saw God. Well, let me take application spiritually. When we encounter God, the flesh will die. That's what I'm trying to tell you, church. That's the lesson this morning. When we have seen God, not only do you recognize depravity, as I talked about two months ago, but now that we're so depraved, all you want is God. There is, in other words, the drug addict who's looking for the next high, the better high, the better high. That's it. That's the pinnacle. There is no greater experience in your life than to be saved and filled with His Spirit. So when you remember that priority, all else is but dross. Burnt up as wood and stubble and hay. When I left that car, I didn't leave the car actually, I drove back. I, I got back on when I made my composure. I went through my laptop, and I told y'all this, this is funny. I went through my iTunes, I found all the booty hopping music and the clubbing music and the country drinking everything music and cheating on your wife music. Talking about Sunday school, right? If y'all were here Sunday school. Right-click, delete, right-click, delete. Highlight all, right-click, delete, right-click. Brother Myers, I deleted happy birthday because it didn't glorify Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Woo! Everything else is dead because I've seen Jesus. I've seen God. I know in my Savior and what He did for me. Nothing else matters. Give God praise. Give God praise. When you see God, that's it. Nothing else will, will compare to that. So church, this is what I'm trying to tell you. I should have included the woman with the issue of blood. We referenced it. That's, that's great. We don't have to read through it. In fact, maybe the Lord is leading you to in your quiet time as you go home and let the Lord bring that revelation to you. But I'm talking about people who are not satisfied with the same old song with just a regular church attendance. I'm talking about people who are starving for something real. And that is seeing God. When you have your personal revelation and you see God, 
Paul the Apostle, from now to, a, as we speak, spiritual, literally when God appeared unto him on the road to Damascus, what happened? His physical eyes were blinded. He was humbled. He even called him Lord, even though, in fact, he, Jesus said, well, then why are you persecuting me? Every person who has ever truly encountered, not just a religious experience, not just goosebumps because my wife can sing really good, right? But when you feel God's presence touch you. And like that time when I, I knelt at this, this altar, somebody set me up. My wife was on the keyboard and I, I was in Baton Rouge. I was finished with Bible college and I was still putting off his call of my life. I was still running, working at Apple store, doing Whatever, paying my bills, just living. I come out here, my wife, we were going to play music and jam. Y'all know the story, most of y'all, but if for those who don't know, while I was in Bible college, a friend of Miranda's and I says, hey, let's go visit Miranda. We'll go in to the church and we'll jam out and we'll play some music. Cool. Huh? No, we weren't married yet. So she lived here. This is when I was in Bible college. And they set me up. They set me up because they knew that I'm a hard-headed man. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost set me up. I'm just going to give you the short version. I walk in those doors, all the lights were out, my wife starts playing and singing, and it was very, here's your altar call. It was one of those, let's do it. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing what God has called me to do. I used Bible college itself as a crutch to delay my call. If God is calling you to preach, if God is calling you to be a teacher, if God is calling you to be a prophet, an apostle, an evangelist, who whatever God is calling you to do, don't let anything even in the Christian world use, use that as a delay, right? I need some more schooling, God. No, you just need my anointing and stop delaying this because I've called you. And that's what I did. Anyway, fast forward, I'm right here and I'll tell you all, this was at that spot. This real spot, it, it y'all might want to, well, it's been quite a few, we, we've wiped it up, but I snotted so hard in this spot. <laughs> Tears, snot, salt, everything that was in my face came out on this little spot. Pastor Glenn was standing right there on the side whenever I uh, gained composure. I got myself up and looked up at him, gave him a big hug. So what I'm trying to tell you, that is what I'm talking about. People that don't just have an experience with God, but I'm talking about people that have encountered God. Your eyes will see the glory of the Lord. The Bible says in Philippians 1.21, if you have it, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, let me tell you some little inside church that's physical and spiritual, metaphorical, death of the flesh. Paul is saying in the literal saying, but if I live in this flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I want not. It's up to God is what he's saying. For I am betwixt in straight of two, having the desire to die, to go to heaven, and to be with Christ, which is far better, no doubt, however, but nevertheless, to abide with you in the flesh as a human being on this earth is needful for you. And having this conscience, I know that I shall abide and continue with you in all furtherance and joy and of faith. Paul gives us, gives us a revelation in this little piece. He's writing to the church of Philippi. This is a prison epistle. He's in jail right now. I'm sure at that point, death would definitely be a better option. But he's saying to, to the church of Philippi, 
it is better that I'm alive, even though dying would be so much more gainful. The problem with the world today, of course, they, apart from God, yes, they have issues. Of course, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. But even within the church, listen to what I'm about to say. We prioritize monetary, temporal things of this life. And I believe, not intentionally, especially within the church, but oftentimes we prioritize the things of this world. As the song says, we'll go strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Our lives, we're so preoccupied of it here. And only part of what our focus should be is working towards there. My wife always says, remember, sweetheart, this world is not your home. And that's the truth. This world is not your home. So if people hate you, if people slander you, if you get fired, if your family backstabs you and mistreats you, if you get sued, whatever happens on this side of eternity is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. To die is gain. To die of the flesh is gain sanctification-wise here on earth as Christians because then we don't care about our own desires. Lord, it's up to you. But I don't want this to sound morbid, but I'm just going to be brutally honest. Can I be brutally honest? This is not to be morbid. But Paul was talking about a literal death. When you find Jesus, the only thing that really matters to you is heaven. Not your two-story house, not your white picket fence, not three and a half acres of pure St. Augustine green grass. None of that matters because it's all temporary. Your truck, your job, your money, it's temporary. Live for heaven, for heaven's sake. Amen? Let us pray. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.